I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Good news for kids. The San Francisco Zoo is open. Tanya Peterson, director of the zoo, is here to talk about what it was like to feed 2,000 animals with no money coming in since March, and also how she's keeping visitors safe and the changes they can expect to see at the zoo. Listen to the end to learn the very surprising answer to what is her favorite animal. Tanya Peterson, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Heather. I really appreciate it. So the San Francisco Zoo is open again. How has it felt to be able to welcome visitors back after so many months of being shut down? It's been exhilarating. Uh, I didn't realize how much I miss people. I I don't think staff realized it. And the animals' response has been overwhelming. I think we're all social creatures at the end of the day. Um, And so we're just thrilled to be back open. How can you tell that the animals are so happy? Well, even our shy animals, maybe the orangutans and others normally might stay away in the shade or so forth, but they're right up front uh, with the animals. Um, Some of them are with the visitors, excuse me. uh, Our gorillas are actually following uh, visitors around. Uh, The rhinos are. uh, There's just been an activation of the animals that we've never seen before. Wow. Yeah, I got to go um, check it out, as you know, a few days ago. And uh, so many animals were like staring right at me. It was funny how I could tell that they were definitely noticing, hey, that's a a different human than I've seen in a while. Right. Uh, You know, the uh, upside for us in terms of studying this and zoological science is that it is showing to us that animals and humans have a connection deeper than we realized. And Uh there was a positive enrichment for animals when uh, visitors do interact with them. So that's been a a great thing to learn. And I don't think it only validates our mission as a zoo. Yeah, that's great. So can you describe what actions you've taken to protect public health and what differences people will see when they walk through the entry? Absolutely. Well, even prior to shelter in place, I think, as you know, uh, we closed all our indoor spaces and we had most of our animal staff already wearing face coverings. Uh, but uh, once we were in shelter in place, we did have a chance to put fun signs and educational signs throughout the zoo to encourage social distancing. We created new positions like safety monitors to, again, gently enforce face coverings and social distancing. But perhaps the biggest change we made was online uh, at our website. You now need to make a reservation. It's by timed. And what we're trying to do is balance it out about 30 families every 30 minutes. Okay. It's such a huge space, 100 acres, that that seems like people will be really spread out. Exactly. Uh, and we still have some of our zoo camp and child care programs. They're using a portion of the zoo that aren't even being experienced by visitors. So we're very fortunate to have 100 acres uh, on a coastline. I think we can have both zoo camp and visitors explore the zoo safely. And how hard is it to get a reservation? Is it like the French Laundry or something? Or are people able to get in? Well, for the first time uh, in a long time, we felt like very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> You're open. This is a big thing. <laughs> uh, what we're what we're seeing is that those morning times, uh, which generally probably are uh, young parents and young children, the ten and eleven o'clock are sold out for the next two weeks. But there are certainly afternoon times available. Okay, probably at nap time, all the little kids go home, and then the big kids can get in. Exactly. That's what we're <laughs> yeah. And what was it like to try to? Um, upkeep the zoo and feed and care for 2,000 animals without any money coming in since March. Right. Well, you know, the first uh, month or two, 
uh, we, you know, we were able to without little change, but as the closure lengthened um, and we used our loan and some of um, the gifts from our major donors and even the city, we were then starting to um, get more worried, if you will. But we also were able to become very efficient and we divided ourselves into three teams. Um, you know, unfortunately the grounds weren't just kept up, um, but they, we felt like we were safely keeping up the grounds, but the priority obviously was the animals. Mm-hmm. And you told me that it took, it cost $30,000 a day to feed the animals. Yes, just alone. Um, and, you know, as you realize, it, while normally expenses um, are reduced when you shut an entity, we unfortunately had to keep, you know, the majority of our operations going. That's all the animal care teams, not just the animal keepers, but the veterinarians and those who feed the animals and those who prepare their food. So uh, it stayed an expensive entity to operate even in closure. That's why we thank our members for their generous contributions, their patience and our major donors uh, to get us through those, those months. Mm-hmm. And how many staff do you employ? Well, we're generally about that 300 full time. Uh, but, but we got ourselves down to, you know, goodness, 50 people showing up uh, for, for some periods of time. And then we mm-hmm. gradually increased it. Were the others furloughed or laid off? Or We generally were able to keep most of our employees paid, maybe reduced hours. There were about 10, those are the ticket takers who went on furlough. Uh, as I understand it, they're making right now more on unemployment. <laughs> oh, wow. They, they may have um, as ticket takers at the front, uh, but I think that will change, of course. Um, and we're looking at new ways to engage them because it's likely there won't be that uh, direct transaction between humans uh, and tickets uh, for a long uh-huh. time to come. So when you get your reservation and you get your time online, then do you like show something at the entry or exactly? So we either a membership card, we would scan it with a you know maybe from a distance, one of those laser scanners, or we'd ask you to show some sort of ID that would match up with um, your reservation, anything from driver's license to just anything that shows your name. And you're taking about half capacity, is that right? Well, we were approved to take half capacity. This week I felt um, just to provide a better uh, experience for the visitors, I actually took it down uh, quite uh, less than that. So for example, a weekday in July last year was about 6,000. We were something like 2,000. Again, I just really wanted this week to go perfectly. I want Uh those who had waited patiently to feel they almost had the zoo to themselves. Yeah. And have you seen children be excited? Because I know there's very few things that are open for kids right now, including swimming pools, aquariums, um, sports fields, um, the libraries, obviously school. So I've already received two uh, adorable crayon written, handwritten (laughs) from uh, visitors who came on Monday. Uh, Uh And it's just been the parents. Thank you. Uh, One mom said of three boys, I think you have two, but right. Yeah. Instead of three, they were climbing and engaged in ways she had just never anticipated again, because they've been cooped up for all the months. So I just, you know, putting money aside, I'm just thrilled that we can give something to our families. You know, generally the folks who come to the zoo are local families. And, you know, I don't know how stressful this has been, but I imagine it's been pretty stressful. Yeah, um, I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having kids myself uh, and then trying to have this managed, you know, just to give them a safe place to be outside, roam where they can. Uh, again, we gave people plenty of room 
this week um, to enjoy themselves, mm-hmm. to do so safely. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com pod. I'm back with Tanya Peterson, director of the San Francisco Zoo. And I know that operating the zoo even before COVID-19, which seems like a decade ago, uh, was already, you know, a bit of a tightrope walk financially. And considering how much money you lost in this gap time and then how you can't have your usual capacity back anytime soon, how are you going to make that work? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I see a few ramifications. We're, we're obviously behind the eight ball in terms of millions of dollars losses in operations. We're, we're hoping folks don't ask for refunds for some of the programs. And we're already seeing the city reduce uh, some of its aid to the, to the zoo. So uh, unfortunately, what we may see is more fee-based programs and less of the free community access that we've enjoyed in the past. I've mm-hmm. always been proud as a nonprofit to host the free days, host children uh, for free, you know, veterans for free, et cetera. And, and that might have to be changed. I hope not, but that's something as we consider. Or more fee-based, if you do enjoy um, a tour, it would be paid, you know, paid or a, a group speech. All that right now is canceled, of course. But um, so it, that's probably the the most concerning thing in the future is charging more uh, for uh-huh. the right. Yeah. Um, and would you probably raise regular ticket prices and membership dues as well? I, I eventually, yes. Uh, you know, we, as I mentioned, I think it, the city now is requiring more in taxes, parking tax, et cetera, um, to meet their own demands. That probably will have to be reflected in our uh, costs. The healthy taxes we had not included um, in our emission costs, we probably will do some things like that. I want to be transparent with folks, though, and that that would be reflective in either an emission price or a membership price increase. At this point, though, just so grateful. We're going to just try and keep the same prices and hold for a while. And can you explain how the operations work? I know the nonprofit um, obviously runs it, but the city is uh, very much involved, too. So how does that actually, how is that set up? Yes, uh, you know, this is a 90-year-old zoo, uh, and in the late 80s, uh, it was managed, operated by Rec and Park, but there had been this nonprofit mainly supporting uh, the children's zoo areas with donations, uh, but uh, getting more involved in the management. And so the city came to the nonprofit, the Zoological Society, and asked it to take over operations for the entire zoo. Uh, so uh, folks on the board then agreed to that. Um, it's a 99-year lease that the society agreed to, and uh, we receive a, approximately a $4 million management fee, and that's since 1991. That hasn't changed over the years in, in any dramatic fashion, but certainly operating costs have. Uh, we are 100 acres, and uh, it's about a 20 to 25 million uh, operating revenue or operating cost, depending on the year. Uh, we'll try to keep it tight this year. Uh, but uh, I think it's been the way that we've been able to create these new exhibits and get away from the zoos of yesteryear, you know, uh, by reaching major donors, engaging some of the best zoo experts in the world. I, I have one of the best um, doctors of animal wellness and psychiatry in the world. Uh, I stole them from another zoo, <laughs> um, from the Chicago zoos. But, uh, you know, as a result, I think, of having the nonprofit, creating chairs and endowments and so forth, 
we can really uh, employ best practices. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've managed to change the reputation of the zoo quite a bit because it used to make headlines for a lot of terrible reasons. Uh, Of course, the tiger incident was number one, but others as well. Do you feel that you have turned that around? I, I do feel like, again, we're a leader in animal rescue. I think we have the largest percentage of rescued animals of any zoo uh, in the United States. Again, I created an animal wellness center. It's the Senator Diane Feinstein Animal Wellness Center. And all that it does is employ scientists to ensure that our animals are not just surviving at the zoo, but thriving at the zoo. Um, and they can do that by you know activity and cortisone levels and all sorts of ways we can manage the happiness of an animal. Um, and then lastly, you know, we're the first zoo, I believe, in the world to offer an equine therapy program, that's horse therapy, for the disabled. It was delayed a bit with COVID, but we're opening it and uh, serving both the Janet Pomeroy and others uh, with horse therapy in the back of the zoo. So, oh, that's cool. You know, I'm really trying to be a community asset, I'm really trying to listen to science and best practices and respond to the conservation needs around us as well as the community. And I think if we continue to be responsive and can continue to challenge ourselves, we will we'll be a leading zoo um, for the next 90 years. Cool. And I know for little kids, um, some of their favorite things about the zoo actually don't have anything to do with animals. There's the huge new fancy playground and the carousel and of course um, Johnny and his steam train Um, but all of those are closed any idea when they'll be back online yes uh well the playground which was one of my first projects uh and you know it uses recycled wood and so forth that did receive clearance for the children in our zoo camp and child care programs to use okay but not just regular children. But not visitors. regular visitors yet. Um, and as we learn more about the COVID, you know, there's less concern about transmission on wood, um, but concern on the metal structures. So we're trying to see if we can use the, the latest knowledge. Uh, I think the good news is then the train might open sooner uh, than some of the other items because we can take a break, sanitize, we can space, it's outdoors. So for all all the train fans, that might be the first thing to open. Oh, good. My little boys loved riding the train when they were toddlers. So <laughs> and <I laughs> that's think, exciting. I think Johnny, our, uh, our uh, captain, uh, has a crush on you, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm flattered. It's mutual. How's he doing? He's doing well. And as I mentioned, he, he you know, the he was just so sad to not see his train. Um, and those first few weeks, I couldn't let him in, you know, only essential, essential, essential workers. But as we uh, got closer to a potential opening date, I said, okay, Johnny, um, you know, it's you and the zookeepers in the zoo. <laughs> so he can tinker <laughs> yeah. with that and get it ready. And, you know, that to him, he says, is his third child. And so I'm, yeah. I'm glad we could provide those moments. And I guess that's the concern is as we've canceled team volunteer programs, adult volunteer programs. I know for some of our volunteers, their interactions with the animals are what keep them going. I, I, mm-hmm. I promise I'll try to get them back to the zoo as soon as we can. But I, you know, I know that engagement with animals really just can't be replaced by Zoom. Um, and many of our teens count on those interactions. I'll try to get that open through the school year if possible. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, you've survived the serious questions and now it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Gordo's. All right. <laughs> what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, my gosh. Filmed. Well, I, I think Birds uh, was part mm-hmm. of it, at least, uh, because I uh, 
I enjoy the Presidio. I know there's a Hitchcock Lane, and I believe that's where Birds was from. And of course, being an animal lover, I love birds. So I'm <laughs> true. <laughs> and you still wear a lot of animal prints, right? I remember seeing pictures of you, and you're you're usually an animal prince. I'm usually an animal prince. I I've uh, become wiser in that. Don't wear the zebra print in front of the lions, or else they think you're. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> when did you start collecting? those animal pieces? Well, you know, I've always been fond of the leopard print, uh, maybe just because my hair color or so forth. But once you start working at a zoo, every Christmas and birthday gift <laughs> to be a print. So even if I was going to take a break, my, my family isn't going to let me. <laughs> right. Uh, where, thinking back when bars were open, where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Oh my gosh, a stiff drink. Well, I like the Buena Vista. I always have. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorites. Uh, that's a great one. That's a great one. Uh, closer to home for me, Studio Social Club. I think that's just a great bar there. Mm -hmm. And then I love the the Boulevard and Epic to have the view of the Bay Bridge like that. It's just fantastic. Yeah. And they serve a good stiff drink as well. Yes. Well, we'll have to meet for one when, when they reopen. Yes. <laughs> what was your first concert? Uh, San Francisco or... Uh, in, in your life yeah okay well then uh it was the it was a, it's a tie between either the b-52s or the go-go's which were like oh, that's a great. <laughs> <laughs> because there were women in the band my mother felt safe that a, a teenager could go so that's why I <laughs> that's funny <laughs> what was the last book you read Oh my gosh, the tiger's uh, the tiger's wife, which is a story um, about a grandfather um, and his granddaughter. It starts with the tiger in the zoo, and of course, if there's, if there's a tiger in the title, I have to read it. <laughs> yeah, what is something people would be surprised to learn about the zoo? Surprised to learn about the zoo that it is on. You know, we have ocean views. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, what a lot of people come to the zoo, they appreciate the zoo, and they don't realize that right there is the Pacific Ocean. And, you know, a third of our zoo actually has terrific views, as long as there's not fog. And our giraffes have the best view of all. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I, I think, you know, when you smell the ocean air and you get a chance to experience the coastline and you see the migration of the pelicans and so forth. I think that's the, the biggest surprise people uh, happily experience when they come to San Francisco Zoo. Yeah. And now you, you are very close to what is um, being called the Great Walkway because the Great Highway is close to cars. So families could make that a, a one-two punch to go ride bikes or scooters or whatever on the Absolutely. highway. And my dream, you know, of putting all this pandemic aside is that we build a coastal conservation center there so that, you know, th there would be more synergy of sorts between, you know, our childcare programs and experiencing the beach. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, instead of running across that great highway, we might have a center where kids can explore, see the whales, see the Farallons and, you know, really embrace the coastline. I think for years, because it's cold, we've put our back to the, back to the ocean. And my vision for the future is to actually embrace and, and put our face forward to the ocean and all the conservation issues therein. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. What is your favorite animal at the zoo? Oh, well, zoo uh, as a zoo director, I'm not allowed to have it. <laughs> it's like asking your favorite kid. <laughs> but, you know, as I say to my only daughter, you're my favorite daughter. Uh, it, you know, I've always loved the giraffes, but over time, I've grown a real, real fondness for the sloth. 
um, <laughs> and I just find them so fascinating. And then I also have a special fondness for our hedgehogs, um, which you'll find in the uh, Animal Resource Center. A lot of those are uh-huh. pets that come to us, and they're just the, the most adorable thing to hedgehogs. So, um, I, but I, really now I I'm honored to work with each and every one of them, and they all yeah. have their unique traits. But uh, like I said, I really shouldn't have a favorite, but there are. <laughs> I wasn't expecting sloth to be at the time. I know, I know. That's what happens. Well, that's what happens during a pandemic. You even the sloth things get weird. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> what is the first thing you'll do when shelter is in place is fully lifted? What do you miss the most about regular life? You know what? Giving giving a hug to people. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize I was a, was a hugger. <laughs> uh, I have British parents, and so we were. I didn't <laughs> as huggers, but. Uh, you know, just to see a good friend uh, from a distance, I realized she was facing some crisis and I couldn't give her that hug that, that we normally would do to for a good friend, you know, so mm-hmm. that's really uh, that, you know, that kind of interaction with very good friends is what I miss the most. Yeah. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, I'm a big believer in gratitude and affirmation. And so I, I thank my children and I thank one staff member a day, even on a weekend, because the zoo's open on a weekend. Thank you. So, uh, you know, thank you, Walker. Thank you, Lamar. Thank you, whoever might be at the zoo. Thank you. And to make sure I say thank you to one of my, one of my children, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, on that note, I will thank you for joining me today. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. Uh, as well. Thank you, Heather, for taking the time and for visiting the zoo. I really appreciate it. It's good to have you back as well. Thanks to Tanya Peterson for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.